You're listening to a Sin podcast. You can listen to this show live by tuning your radio to 90.7 or online at sin.org.au. Due to some confusing, boring legal stuff, Sin can't podcast any of the knee-slapping tracks that are played on air. To dance along with us in the studio, you'll need to listen live. Tune your radio dial to 90.7 or stream it online at sin.org.au. We at Represent would like to acknowledge and pay our respects to the traditional owners of the land on which Sin operates, the Wundri people of the Kulin Nation. Sin Media respectfully acknowledges their ancestors and elders, past, present and emerging. We would also like to acknowledge the traditional custodians and their ancestors of the lands and waters across Australia where our content reaches. Sovereignty has never been ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Kids should go to school. That's what we're committed to. I haven't flip-flopped. I said no originally, then I said yes, then I have said no and I've stuck to it. I didn't need to do this. I've already done a lot of war for the election. The English fought a civil war over this this matter. Don't deal with the nuance of the Canberra bubble. I don't know what to do with it. We have so much money. What we want is more learning in schools and less activism in schools. Issues that perhaps may be controversial today, but 30 years from now, your children, your grandchildren are going to be thankful that you stood up for what it was right. Represent. 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 You're listening to Represent. You're listening to Represent. With Bridie and George on a very special edition of Represent. I don't know why I say that. It's just... Every week is special. Every week is special with, with you and Mimi. Um, even though Mimi's not here, she's stitched us for another week. Yep, gone AWOL. But regardless, um, very happy to be here after a bit of an absence. Um, bit of an absence to... Went a bit basic white girl mode and went to Bali for, for a week, so... Found yeah, myself so if there. If you read anything about foot and mouth disease, you'll know who's spread off. Oh, yeah, I was, I was case zero. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, well, there you have it. Um, but yeah, how have you been, Brady? I've been pretty good. Yeah, I've been reading the news like been a good the news. That's good. As every year 12 student does mm-hmm. when they've got spare time, just That's hassling true. out the news. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just going through the Guardian. Oh, yeah, every, every 18-year-old and 17-year-old does that. But anyway... Oh, yeah. We'll get right into it today. Um, we've got some pretty big things that have happened on during the week. Yeah, Priority's it has been a big week. Priority's gonna be talking a bit about big basling Boris and he's fell out of Parliament just about the same way he fell into Parliament. No one really knows how it happens, but he was there. Superhuman. Like, Superhuman. It was a wild ride with him, but we'll get oh, into yeah. all the details <laughs> that that happened, maybe a few bloopers that he's had over the way. Um, I'll be talking a little bit about Australia's COVID strategy for the future and kind of the situation that we find ourselves in right now. And then we'll talk a little bit about China and Australian relations right now as there's an upcoming summit with uh, Foreign Minister of China and Penny Wong. So there you have it. You're listening to Represent here on SIN. Good afternoon. It, thank you, thank you. It is clearly now the will of the Parliamentary Conservative Party that there should be a new leader of that party and therefore a new Prime Minister. And I've agreed with Sir Graham Brady, the chairman of our backbench MPs, 
that the process of choosing that new leader should begin now. And the timetable will be announced next week. And I've today appointed a cabinet to serve, as I will, until a new leader is in place. So I want to say to the millions of people who voted for us in 2019, many of them voting Conservative for the first time, thank you for that incredible mandate, the biggest Conservative majority since 1987, the biggest share of the vote since 1979. That was Boris conceding in front of the public in Britain. Um, it's really just a mammoth second in a row time for the Conservatives in yeah. Britain. Um, obviously, something that Boris did not want to be, I guess, continuing the trends of Theresa May recently. But, Bridie, what, what did you make of all of this? Well, it's been um, a chaotic week in UK politics. So, obviously, Boris resigned last night. Um, there had been... I didn't know this. He has like 50, more than 50 people in his cabinet. Um, he has more than 50 people in his cabinet and they've, so many of them have resigned, which is just unbelievable. So let's have a little highlights reel of his political career. Um, so Boris resigned last night, but he was first elected in 2001. Um, he was the London mayor for two terms, so eight years, um, and London is normally a very Labour-leaning city, similar to Melbourne and, you know, the inner city of most capital cities. It's quite left-wing generally, but he won two terms as a Conservative mayor. Um, in 2019, he won a pretty unbelievable majority, so parts of um, the country, like he said, that had gone voted Tory. Um, they'd never been... They were part of the Red Wall. Um, they'd never gone blue before. But he has really mismanaged COVID. Um, at one point during the pandemic, the UK actually had the highest death rate in the developed world, which is pretty uh, pretty disappointing. <laughs> um, he, in 2019, promised to get Brexit done. That was like his slogan. But they voted in the country. The referendum was in 2016, and they left the EU in January 2020. And the chaos still continues with the Northern Ireland Protocol, with the um, trade and travel between the EU and Northern Ireland. So is it actually done? Was his slogan true? So Boris Johnson's downfall kind of started quite early on in 2020 when his aide, Dominic Cummings, who was fired after a power struggle with... Oh, actually, I'm not sure he was fired. He may have just quit. Um, he quit after a power struggle with... Boris Johnson's wife, Carrie, um, he said that Boris Johnson is unfit for the job of PM. Um, Boris was also under investigation for his renovation of the Downing Street flat at 10 Downing Street and has been criticised from all sides for having a disregard for authority and being corrupt, allegedly. In November last year, he was also accused of having parties in at 10 Downing Street during the lockdowns, which is totally inappropriate, if you ask me, and also on the night before Prince Philip's funeral. Um, and he apologised to the Queen for that one <laughs> and was fined by the police over these parties. So he survived a confidence motion in June, even though 41% of his MPs voted against him, which is a huge proportion. Um, and then... There's been a string of by-elections in the UK and he's lost so many of them that he's become seen as a liability within the Tories. So 50-plus ministers resigned and 
more just members that weren't ministers, backbenchers, if you will. <laughs> um, this included Chancellor Rishi Sunak. And then after 48 hours of people just flooding out of his party and out of his cabinet, um, he quit. He said, the reason I have fought so hard in the last few days to continue to deliver that mandate in person was not just because I wanted to do so, but because I felt it was my job, my duty, my obligation to you to continue to do what we promised in 2019. So it's not clear what's going to happen after this. He's still staying on so far as a caretaker prime minister. Um, apparently, Ben Wallace, the defence secretary, is best placed to win the nomination, but it's just a bit chaotic in the Tories at the moment because there are people who are planning to nominate who've never even indicated that that was something they wanted to do. Um, he's promised not to enact any new policies and to continue to fight for Ukraine's freedom, which has been a high point of his prime ministership with... Um, a lot of continued support for Ukraine. It's made him very popular in the country as well. Um, the Labor leader, Akia Starmer, has said he'd table a vote of no confidence if Boris doesn't step down. Um, and I was a bit amused by The Guardian's article, their view on the Boris Johnson's resignation. Uh, good riddance. So, George, what do you think? Can he stay on? Is it viable for him to continue to be a caretaker prime minister when there's been this chaos? Um, I think... I think he'll try everything in his power to stay on. And it, it links back his reasoning behind, or everyone else's assumption to his reasoning of staying behind, is all to do with politicians' legacy. Mm. Politicians are so obsessed with their legacy in the 21st century, whether it be in Australia, in, in UK, or in America. It's all about their legacy, and he's trying to hold on to that um, to stay for a longer time than Theresa May ever did, which is about is about 28 days off right now. And that's <laughs> the thing that's holding him on. I, I guarantee that he would have resigned as it is right now if it wasn't for that fact. Um, yeah. So I think it's the fact that he's, well, in my eyes at least, is putting his own personal, you know, prerogatives ahead of the, the state in itself. So I yeah, think, I like, think so. you know, I think... There's so many who have resigned. The only other person I could probably think of would be maybe Dominic Raab, who's the Deputy Prime Minister um, of the UK. So maybe they'll, he seems like the obvious choice right now. Um, that yeah. being said, it seems like the writing's on the wall for the, for the Tories right now. Um, I think, if you ask me, the, the turning point out of everything was the parties at his house. Like, yeah, how can you How can you show any sense of authority of, as a prime minister if you're Not quiet, even obeying your own you're rules. You're not obeying your own rules. How does that provide any legitimacy towards yeah. your tenureship there? So. Totally. And so, I mean, he could still be in office in, in October because mm. he wants to find a new leader before the party conference. But, I mean, everyone else has resigned. So do you think that whoever will be the next PM, whether it's Dominic Raab or Rishi Sunak or um, mm -hmm. Matt Hancock said he wasn't going to run. Um, will they be able to gain any legitimacy from the party? Like, will they be able to trust the party? I mean, everyone's resigning and saying, Boris, you should go, you should go. No, it's it's not a tenable position at all. Even, no. coming Even up in the future, though, with the next prime minister. Oh, after the next election? No, 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 like when they find a new person. Oh, yeah, no, it's still not a tenable position yeah. for, for anyone there. I think the the party is that divided as it is. No one's, you know, there's no absolute majority of, you know, people wanting to swing one way. I think the Tories are having almost like a midlife identity, identity crisis, crisis right now. <laughs> they're, they're not sure if they want to appeal to, like, the Donald Trumpism of the world or mm -hmm. if they want to become, you know, the 
traditional conservatives who just or something up, a bit like Angela Merkel's party, something a like more that, centrist, a bit more economic centred. Um, obviously, there's a divide, as there is in all political parties within you know the world. Um, I think they're trying to find their way within whether they want to take that centrist position, and I think a lot of it is dependent on how, like. The Labour Party kind of situates themselves as well. Mm, Obviously, um, if they stuck with like the Jeremy Corbyns of the world, they'll probably push them towards someone like Boris Johnson, which in and of itself, him and Theresa May, who are similar-ish in politics, um, they almost as an opposition to Jeremy Corbyn at the time when they were elected. Um, so normally it's like the pendulum swing. When when one side goes to the far left, the other, the other party goes to the far right. So I guess we'll see how that goes. We'll see how this whole midlife crisis turns out for the, for the Tories right now, but I guess we'll have to wait yeah. and see. And I have one more question. I don't have this one written down, but do you think this will impact on you know the war in Ukraine? I mean, Boris has been very, very vocal in the last few months about being very supportive of Ukraine. Mm-hmm. I think I don't think it'll make much of a difference. I think it's a very probably one of the most bipartisan um, mm. issues I've ever seen in in my life, at least. Um, <laughs> I don't think there's a single person who would at least backtrack from what Boris has been doing. Obviously, yeah. he's been going a bit above and beyond um, with his with what's been happening in Ukraine, but I, I'm fairly confident that it's worked well for him and mm, everyone else will. I think has worked. It's got him a few brownie points too. Saving it, grace, and I actually read that he'd well. Cynics have said he's used um, like trips to Kiev to um, get out of like meeting with Labour MPs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I should hear about that as well. Yeah, it's quite funny. It's um, he's used it. He you know he's used it to his power, which you know, <laughs> maybe maybe it's not a very moral way of doing things, but it works for him, and that's politics for you, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think we'll wrap it up here. Um, obviously, it's a lot pretty big news and there's going to be a lot more coming out in the future days maybe a couple more resignations coming out maybe maybe Boris will stay on maybe they'll force him to resign because honestly right now I can't see him staying on all his own MPs are calling him to quit as well it's it's Mm. a very difficult position for him to keep on but you know Boris has shown us some wild things over his time he can hang on he's a no one else (laughs) if there's anyone in the world who could do it any political leader yeah I trust Boris to to get a long line come through with the goods (laughs) it was a fun ride Boris but maybe maybe we wrap it up here yeah you'll listen to represent here on sin you were back on represent with Bridie and George, a bit of an intermission, if you may. Just <laughs> if <then>. you will. <laughs> um, a few a few scenes. A few songs. A few songs. A bit of a, I don't know what you call that, a bit of Jamaican hip-hop. I have no idea what that a bit was. Of, a bit of soul. A it bit was of soul. enjoyable enough. Enjoyable. Reggae, maybe. <laughs> yes, a bit of reggae. Everyone loves a bit of reggae. But to get into some more serious to amp topics. up the mood yeah. to bring it right down. <laughs> um, yeah, we, we always keep you on your toes here, I represent. But right now we're going to be discussing about COVID deaths um, in Australia. And does anyone actually care anymore? That's my main question. I care, That's George. Preface it. Do you care? Brady? I do care. Yeah, I think the consensus in the room is that everyone cares. Except but the people who don't. Which except the people who don't. there seem to be a lot of. There does seem to be a lot of, but I guess it's the question whether do they actually not care or is it they've cared for too long? Yeah, I can understand that. The momentum has fallen a little Mm. bit. I think that's undeniable. It's been a long two years. It's been a long two years and after the vaccines um, and everyone's been like 
the third choice has been given to everyone or at least given the opportunity to give it to everyone. Um, we're kind of at a stage where we are living with COVID and it's not working great for no, the... it's pretty chaotic. <laughs> it's working great for people getting, you know, freedoms back, but maybe not so much for the hospital system and... The education the system. education system. All the systems. All the systems. All the systems are affected. <laughs> no systems are working. I love how people still use COVID as an excuse for some of the um, failures as, of a business, of some businesses, including when I went to Pizza the other day and they somehow blamed it on COVID. But to what? They said that my order was going to be delayed because of COVID. Now I feel like it's just a buzzword that people are using. Uh, okay. so. And you can't really disagree. Can't disagree, can't really agree. But anyway, we're getting a bit sidetracked here. <laughs> um, so basically we've gone past the 10,000 deaths um, in just the past six months. Um, the average is totaling about 50 a day of deaths that are coming from COVID. Um, this has led to Itagi putting forward the fourth dose for 30-year-olds and above. Uh, so trying to mitigate the consequences of you know, not burdening the the health system in Victoria and in Australia, and especially when we're seeing very across-the-board hospitalizations going up increasingly more and more, um, something like 30% of COVID-related deaths um, have occurred in residential aged care just in the last six months over all of COVID, which when we think back to all the the first lockdowns and the second lockdowns and all of 2020 and 2021, it's pretty disproportionately affecting us right now. Um, so we've heard a lot of experts talk about how little impacts such as putting a mask on, as said by the ABC and News Daily, they said that that could decrease um, infections rates by 45% if we inf inflicted um, masks back on people. I think inflicted is the wrong <laughs> word. That sounds very um, harsh. Or at least... Imposed. Imposed. That's, yeah. yeah. Not as good as... Do you as mean a mandate or just like... Um, mandate on certain settings, yeah. I think, is what they were referencing. I don't think they mentioned to the full extent that we had during those lockdowns. No, that was pretty crazy. They were pretty crazy, but I guess they they were effective if they did decrease the infectious rate that much. Um, but at the same time, it's a bit curious that um, we're coming into winter and infections are going to surge. We're going to go through a third wave over this winter. A lot mm -hmm. of people are getting sick right now of everything basically and this comes right after on june 30 when they just got rid of the 750 dollar payment to isolate now for me that is quite an interesting thing to do as Absolutely. soon especially the timing of it mm -hmm. when they think of okay if you're gonna scrap the incentive to stay at home you think you do it over the summer or something yeah, right not outdoors exactly because now people are actually having to choose between staying at home or making a living. And yeah. for a lot of people, there's... There's not, like, the savings. There's not the capacity not, to stay at exactly. home for a week. And paycheck to paycheck. Even if you don't... If you want to do the right thing, maybe your financial ways just put that like, burden... You can have the best of intentions, but if you need to go out and make money to buy your next meal, you're exactly. going to have to do that. Yeah. It's you're at a crossroads, and a lot of people would put their financial priorities in place. I think over that time. So, bearing this all in mind, Bridie, where do we draw the line with all this? Where do we draw the line in the sense of how much longer can we keep up with these rate of infections mm -hmm. coming up over this last six months? Which 
just to mention quickly, has been per capita. Um, we're in the top 10 of all world, of all countries across the world in terms of um, cases per capita. Yeah. Is that acceptable? I think it's concerning, but I also, I mean, my little sort of theory is that we didn't have the first wave, we didn't have the original COVID, really, um, and so that's why we're getting so infected now because people who I think had the first type of COVID, the OG, um, you. if you like, um, apparently are more immune to the rest of the variants than, say, I got, I mean, I'm assuming I got the Omicron, I got it in April or something, March or April. Mm-hmm. Um Yes, I forgot where I was going with that. But because we didn't have that big first wave, um, maybe that's why we have so many now. But it's impacting the education system. Um, as we know, I'm in year 12 and, you know, I had classes where I had weeks where two of my four teachers, you know, I'm doing four subjects, two of the four teachers were off with COVID. Um, so half my classes were cancelled. Um, my brother had classes combined because teachers were away and, you know, I've had classes of less than 10 people being there because so many people have COVID. So it's kind of unsustainable um, in the long term, definitely, even considering, like, herd immunity or whatever. But um, I've read that having Omicron once doesn't stop you from getting it again no. pretty much at all. And it, it links back to that introduction of the fourth dose for 30-year-olds and above because initially it's argued with mentioning how if you had already had COVID and you had three doses, you were, you got it. You're sorted. You're, you're sorted. You're sorted for a long time. But I guess, as we know, these vaccines aren't necessarily cures. They're more so mm. protective measures more than yeah. anything else. So I think we've got to treat them as such in the future and see how that goes. That being said, we are a little bit rushed for time. So to yeah, fit in a few more talking points, we'll wrap this up here. Coming up next is... Uh, Emma Donovan and the Putbacks called Six. You're listening to Represent here on Sin with Bride and George and two very other special guests in the studio by the names of Zane and Miles. You're listening to Represent here on Sin. You're back on Represent on Sin with Bridie and George. Now, Bridie, what's our next segment all about? Our next topic is the Australia-China relationship. So for the last few years, um, especially with the last government, the Morrison government, um, it's been a very, very strained relationship. Um, China's put a lot of tariffs on key Australian exports um, as a response to Australia calling for an inquiry into China, um, into the origins of COVID, um, which is sort of indirectly implying that China made it in a lab, but that's a conspiracy theory. <laughs> um, and also not what I'm talking about. Anyway. I remember when is... we were going to make the show Conspiracy Show. There was, was a big discussion funny. going on around, yeah. the, around the works. Whatever happened to that, honestly. Anyway, um, this means that demand for key Australian exports like barley, wine and coal has really decreased in China, so it's impacted on Australian farmers. So at the moment, Penny Wong today so literally at the moment, is meeting with the Chinese Foreign Minister, Wang Yi, for the first time in several years that there's been a Foreign Minister to Foreign Minister meeting. So this is sort of resetting the relationship or kind of rebooting it, if you like, which is super important because um, they need to re-establish trust and credibility given how um, anti-China the previous government was. So she's meeting him in Bali on the sidelines of the G20, um, which is why this kind of all this talk is happening about foreign affairs. I actually didn't know there was a G20 meeting until I was researching this today. 
Um, so if Australia can make China lift the tariffs or improve the relationship to the point at which the tariffs can be lifted, that would be pretty huge because um, farmers and miners are maybe not typically labour supporters, but if they can increase this will significantly increase like their profits in these sectors. So if they could do that, that would be pretty major and that would um, probably gain a lot of support in Australia. So this a senior fellow in East Asia at the Lowy Institute, Richard McGregor, told The Guardian, Australia has doubled down at the US alliance and you can't simply wiggle out of things like that to improve relations with China. But talking to China, I think, is a good idea. Stabilising the relationship is a good idea. There are some things we can talk about, about trade, the environment, about green hydrogen, about climate change. But we have to get back to the table and redevelop at least a baseline of trust before we can do any of that. So this is also a bit challenging because New Zealand and Australia are both kind of trying to persuade these Pacific Island countries to not become too closely allied with China, even though China really, 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 really wants to expand their influence in the Pacific. Um and just today, Jacinda Ardern and Anthony Albanese were saying they're not making these countries pick sides, but um, they kind of are. Anyway, do you think that this um, will be able to be kind of this attempt to improve our relationship with China? Do you think they'll be able to reconcile that with what China's doing in Taiwan and Hong Kong and Xinjiang? Um, how can they kind of balance those two? It's a tough question, and I think... <clears throat> China in itself is a very... You don't know what their moves are, right? They're, they're always two steps ahead of the game in the sense mm. in diplomatic relations. So I think about Fiji um, just before the election happens and how much of a curveball that was in the entire scheme of the Southeast Asian region and all those little Pacific islands. I Like, you can't give them too much, but at the yeah. same time, it's the inevitability of all these surrounding areas are going to succumb to China in my eyes because I think of places such as Vanuatu and the debt traps that China is imposing on them right now. Their sovereignty is at the behest of China, mm. as is so many of these other nations. And when you look at the Belt and Road Initiatives, which is the most fascinating thing to me... Oh, yeah, totally. It's, totally. um, you know, it's a zero-sum game for them. It, yeah. We can't really see anything else apart from China's way. There's no compromise with China. They're no. not going to compromise the nationalistic ideals. They might try and improve their international reputation and international standing, but they're not actually going to... They'll never sacrifice like the one China policy. Exactly. Their international Taiwan standing. is... I feel well, like I'm back in global. I, do, <laughs> I feel like I'm back in global as well from whatever, <laughs> four years ago. But nevertheless, like it's just the way that China is, and it's been known for a very long time that this is how it's going to go. I wonder how Labour will and Penny Wong will combat this um, mm. because obviously there was that big election campaign against the Labour Party about you know, Labour's soft on China, Liberal is hard on China, we will, we will hold China to account yeah. our 20 million population compared to that. I think that's so interesting because like, there are definitely good things that could come out of the relationship with China as well. Like, mm -hmm. um, They have... My favourite stat is that in 2015 China built a soccer field's worth of solar of mm -hmm. solar panels every hour in the year. Um, so if we can get, you know, some of their renewable energy resources, solar panels, wind turbines, whatever, shipped over here, um, that's going to be good for us. It you will. Know, like their positive outcomes. It's positive, but we've always got to keep an open mind with, you know, there's always a hidden agenda with these Chinese deals. <laughs> I don't think it's that hidden. 
Well, no, it isn't that hidden. But <laughs> you know, when you see all the positives, it's it's easy to ignore the negatives oh, totally. of it, especially yeah, yeah. like in places like Africa as well. I think of and all the debt traps that are being mm. imposed there. Um, it's really just working out well for China. That being said, China is in a bit of a economic strife right now. Um, not. So much compared to the the rest of the world, but they're no. not. Their growth isn't keeping up to what it COVID, was about five years ago. Yeah, that's true. Their COVID situation is a bit chaotic as well. They're still going for zero COVID, um, mm-hmm. and so like people over here who have you know old elderly parents can't go and visit because you know could take COVID in, even though there's COVID there already. It's a bizarre situation, but um, yeah. I don't know where China it interests me. Like, China does interest me. It's <laughs> I find it deeply fascinating. It's a philosophical, philosophical. It is struggle that will mm. continue to impact us for the rest of our lives. I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, but just generally speaking, how do you see the next? You know, through this Labor administration, what do you see the future with our relationship being? I think the relationship with China will improve to um, to a point that. You know, there's like dialogue between the countries regularly, um, because that's kind of been something that's that's been the thing that's missing. Um, I think it would be good, like, to reach a point where the tariffs on our goods are lifted, because they're on a lot of different things, and it would, you know, without sounding like an economics student, it would really benefit the economy to <laughs> get those, get rid of those. Without sounding like a young liberal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It would, yeah, it would obviously help the economy a little bit, but I think at the same time we've also got to look at the US and... Exactly, and it's so important to consider, like, you know, Taiwan, Hong Kong, Xinjiang, and, you know, there's a big balancing act that goes on there. Yeah, and at what point do we draw the line with the influence and mm, In the South China Sea and... Exactly, of the that South China Sea. It is the word. It's not. <laughs> I've made it the word. Um, but yeah, I think Taiwan is the one that I'm keeping my eye on the most in mm. all of this. And um, obviously, America and I believe maybe Australia still hold the one China policy of Taiwan being subject to China and you know oh, Chinese this is, sovereignty. This is part of my global last year. America has this law that is. It says that like. If um, if t- China attacks Taiwan, they'll provide arms to Taiwan. But in writing and in paper, on paper, they're like they agree with the One China policy. Yeah. So it's kind of strategic ambiguity. They're taking them. both sides, but yeah. you can't take both sides in a war, can you? No, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So it's... yeah, I think if push comes to shove with Taiwan, I just have no idea what'll happen. I think there'll be enough diplomatic pressure put on the Democrats in America to kind of push mm. something across. That being said, you know... And we, Australia would just follow what America does. Of course. Um, yeah. That being said, we've got a bit more at stake, I think, with our geographical mm. location next 100%. to China. Um, so, yeah, I guess we'll come to see. And obviously, you know, the Russia-Ukraine war probably... Definitely just, influence. It influences and it's kind of almost a dress rehearsal for China and Taiwan. Mm. Well... I say that, you know, I don't mean to be insensitive or anything. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I guess way, it's but... how it will be. Um, that being said, we'll just wrap it up here quickly. But you're listening to Represent here on Sin. You've been listening to a Sin Media podcast where young people run the show.